0: you are listening to From Where I Stand a podcast produced by St. Charles Barmeo Church Montgomery Township New Jersey For some it's standing on a subway platform for others standing in line at the supermarket checkout It can be on the best day you've ever had or the worst moment of your life Or just standing somewhere anywhere on an ordinary wednesday it's the moment when you realize you are being called to some new choice to use your life in some new way here at saint charles we know god calls us and it's not just at a certain age or stage of life sometimes in the most ordinary moment we see life our life In a different way. And for most, it doesn't happen in church or a religious event. Here each week, we'll share the story of someone who has experienced that call. Their life might be just like yours, or nothing like it. But as you listen, you might find yourself realizing, I've been called too, from where I stand. Hello, I'm Teresa
1: Ledwith Fay, and this is From Where I Stand. I'm very pleased to welcome our guest, Lexi Mubarak. Lexi is a counselor at a women's correctional facility. Finding her first calling to service as a youth group member at St. Charles Borromeo Church, Lexi's professional life has focused on the support and emotional counseling of the incarcerated who are serving extended sentences and often recovering from PTSD. Welcome, Lexi.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Lexi, let's begin with where you are now and a bit about the professional counseling you provide.
2: So I work as a licensed clinical social worker at the Women's Prison And I work with women that are serving sentences, many of which have been convicted for murdering an abusive partner, and the majority of my clients experience related symptoms, addiction, and or chronic health issues.
1: Well, that's such important work that you're doing, and I wanted to also mention, as I did in the introduction, that you grew up as part of the St. Charles Borromeo community and were involved in the youth group, and when we spoke, you talked a little bit about that's where some of your initial work started in this area of um, giving and service. Can you tell us a bit in general about yourself, your engagement with St. Charles, and about your life as a Catholic?
2: Sure. I I grew up in Montgomery, and I very much enjoyed my time in the youth group at St. Charles. It was through the numerous service trips mexico and guatemala and school of the americas and the others that to the service of others um serving others had has always been where i felt the closest to god and after high school i went on to providence college and admittedly struggled to remain involved with the campus ministry it just did not feel the same as saint charles um and as a result i felt as if my relationship with God at that time was very distant. But I did, however, continue to do service. Um, I ran a campaign in college to stop the sale of bottled water on campus. And through my studies of social work, I moved on from college to work with the chronically homeless in Rhode Island. Um, And it was through that work that I became drawn to the prison system. And so, Throughout my life, um, while my relationship with God has kind of, you know, come and gone in terms of feeling distant or feeling close, I feel like my my call to service and being drawn to service has always has always been there.
1: That's so clear in how you just described that you didn't allow yourself to become discouraged by what the university where you were offered you, but you found other ways to express your commitment to service. And do you have recollections of having calling early in life to service?
2: Yeah, looking back, there was one specific service trip through the youth group where I felt called to service, um, and that experience really feel stronger than the other service trips. Um, it was the summer after my sophomore year of high school and the youth group had taken us to Camden for a week. I was volunteering at a nursing home and rehabilitation center where I met Santos. Santos had a stroke and was paralyzed on one side of his body. He had an attitude when I met him, but um, I somehow seemed to make him laugh at the events that was going on that day. and I had requested to go back to that site later in the week, and that was granted. So I got to spend a little bit more time with him, and I promised him that I would return with my family, um, which I did. And I've continued to visit him now for over a decade. He has moved on from the nursing home and is in his own apartment and is doing really well. But this experience really shifted the way that I thought about service. I think before that, it was. It was about kind of like having sympathy for someone and this, re- this relationship that I built really taught me more about like having a, creating a human connection as a way of service.
1: And a connection that you've been so committed to for a long period of time. As you considered your professional life, And you mentioned earlier in um, Providence that that's where you first found a calling for working with the incarcerated, I think. Mm -hmm. What drew you towards a professional life of social work and counseling? I think it was
2: um, definitely meeting people face to face during all of those service trips. And I was drawn to do that in a professional way uh, where I could be trained to help with whatever they needed. Um, Like I mentioned before, I began working with the chronically homeless. And this population was special to me because they were the most forgotten people in society. And I wanted to be a light and a support. And when I moved into the prison work, I I began to actually struggle with my own mental health. And the prison uh, requires high and a degree of anxiety just in general when, when you work there. And so these symptoms were ones that I, were already exper- that I had already experiencing after I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder from a sexual assault that occurred in college. And despite initially not wanting to work with incarcerated women because of how deep the work can be, I felt called to it anyway that my experience of healing was something that I needed to share in the form of counseling other women. Um, I have focused my clinical experience on trauma work and created two groups for the women at our facility specifically. The first being a hashtag MeToo group that teaches the women about PTSD, how trauma impacts their mind and their bodies and tools for healing. And the second is a mindfulness group, which is just aimed at kind of providing a space for the women to practice mindfulness and relaxation techniques. And it has been continuously frustrating that I cannot provide for everything that has been helpful to me in my healing due to the restructure of the prison environment. But I have found a calling in in creatively finding ways to help these women heal from their trauma. Sometimes all that's required just to listen.
1: Many rarely think about the incarcerated. And you're starting to open our eyes and our thinking just through this conversation. And I believe we'd all benefit if you could share a bit more about the community of women that you support.
2: So as I mentioned, the, the work I do at the women's uh, prison is, this is our so this is the only prison that New Jersey actually has for women and the population is around 400 to 500 inmates. Um, the women that I serve, they range in all ages from 18 up and and in crimes as well. But I would say that the biggest common denominator that I've seen amongst incarcerated women, both here in New Jersey and in Rhode Island is the, the sexual violence and physical violence. Um, most women that I serve are survivors It has made me happy over the past few years. Just see our society change its view in terms of incarcerated people. Um, I see most of our women as individuals who experienced immense trauma without the money or emotional support in a healthy way, and therefore many of them turn to drugs or patterns of relationships or other maladaptive coping mechanisms.
1: What does it mean to do, to you to do this work every day? And do you see others respond to the work you do in that? I think most probably view it as unusual. And do you find that some of these stereotypes and assumptions continue to be prevalent about what is around the individuals who are incarcerated, what their backgrounds are and what their life is like yeah this
2: um well this work means so much to me honestly it has taken away a lot of my own emotional pain from struggling with ptsd and i've had to stay focused on the call to serve or i find myself beginning to question you know why i have to experience these symptoms and so this work really means that my purpose is to share and to help heal and that's very special to me. there are stereotypes about women who are incarcerated. I have gotten many questions about why I care, why I do this work. Um, you know why the women should be released early due to COVID. Right now, the state is releasing about twenty five hundred inmates early uh, ahead of new second wave. And so, but as I mentioned earlier. I have found over the last five years of doing this work that the dialogue began to shift. Um, people are more forgiving and more interested in how to help incarcerated people move on and, you know, become members of, of society outside of the prison. But I think it is so important to understand that many of the things that separate us from incarcerated individuals are things that are out of our control, like how our parents treated us as children or what educational opportunities we had um, or what our genetics are like or um, the community support where we grew up. So I have found working with the women over the last three years that those are the things that have me from from them and those you know having loving parents and growing up in a community that um where i got a good education and i had resources through church i had resources through school um that is what prevented me from going down a path of of abusive relationships or or using drugs, um, because my trauma history is not nearly as close to the immense trauma that these women have experienced, but um, it is similar in, in, in certain ways.
1: What's the connection between your faith and what you find yourself called to do, and the work, this really amazing work that you're engaged in, and have you found a connection for yourself between your calling and your connection with God? Definitely.
2: I, I think it took me a little bit of time to associate this work with a calling. Um, it was all there and I always felt really drawn to it, but I felt like I mentioned depleted in the beginning of this work. Um, and, and in my own, in my own mental health symptoms. And so focusing on the connection between God and going to work every day and doing this work has been incredibly important. Um, Also, I have found that many of the women that I serve are extremely faithful. And that has strengthened my own relationship with God, just sitting in session with women who are talking about how much they want God to get through their day-to-day and their life sentences or their you know lengthy sentences. And so it has been a constant reminder that God is always present no matter where you are. And these women have really found that support.
1: And I just find that so incredible, so inspiring. Our guest has been Lexi Mubarak, who joined us to share her inspiring story of working each day with women who are incarcerated. It has truly been inspiring to talk with you today, Lexi. And I so appreciate you sharing your story with us.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me onto this podcast.
1: Join us next time to hear more stories of how others have found their calling. Thank you for listening. from where
0: I stand. The C3 Project, Creating a Culture of Calling, is a multi-denominational initiative sponsored by Vibrant Faith and funded by the Lilly Endowment. If you would like to learn more, go to www.barameo.org and click on the C3 Project tab.